it's a long walk. I got a side cramp. I'm just kidding. I was out of breath last service, though. <laughs> I was like, do I have to run? Uh, hey, thank you, Pastor Michael. And, and uh, man, he's, <clears throat> sometimes you, you're in youth ministry and you don't always see the, the fruit of, of what you're trying to invest and the seeds you're trying to sow. And I just remember, you know, having to give some of that to the Lord. You know, when social media happened, you can kind of see, man, they were in my youth group and they're not making good choices. And, you know, it, it can, and they're not, you know, why isn't their life changing? Or, and you can become almost kind of frustrated, even cynical sometimes. I just remember as a, as a young leader, and um, sometimes the Lord gives you Michael and, and Curtis Popenhagens and others just as ways of saying, look, I'm, and, and many others, but, but I just want to honor him and his leadership and Curtis and the Costins and, and others. I, every time I come here, I'm like, John, don't cry during worship because I see what God's doing in, in these young people that I had the privilege of, of being a part of uh, their lives growing up as Christians. And so it is a massive honor for me to be here. I absolutely respect Pastor Mike and Jen so deeply and greatly. And as we were even singing this song, you know, this is a house of miracles. And I love how Pastor Michael kind of exhorted us to say that in faith because that is a reality. I don't think we've even scratched the the tip of the iceberg of what God's going to do, but there is a miracle working power that's been on this house since the moment it, it began, honestly. And so you're a part of that. And you're a part of what God's doing in Jackson, Michigan. And, and uh, this is a miracle, what's taking place. And so, again, just super honored to be here. I brought my beautiful wife of almost 21 years with me, Kendra. So thank you for coming, even though Jenny's not here. Very nice of you. Just kidding. We left our kids at home. So my two teenage daughters are definitely still sleeping. It's only 1130. <laughs> and then we have an eight-year-old son. So I, we greet you from Radiant Church in Richland. Uh, it's a campus I oversee. I've been there 17 years. And as I said, just all, every time I come here, I'm just super honored and humbled uh, by what God's doing. So let's pray and we'll, we'll jump into the word. Father, we ask you for the Holy Spirit to speak to every single heart today. God, I ask that, Lord, more than anything, you would illuminate your word. God, you said the entrance of your word, it gives light and it brings understanding to us, God. So I pray, Holy Spirit, minister to every single heart. You know what we need to hear. You know what we're dealing with. You know even the secret hidden things that maybe no one else knows. You are familiar with, and you are a gentle and loving Father. And so we trust you, and we surrender to you, and we ask you speak to us today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. If you brought your Bibles, turn to two passages, Luke chapter 5. And John chapter 21, uh, if you didn't bring your Bibles, you should. That's all I'm going to say. I read somewhere you're 27% more likely to go to heaven if you bring your Bible to church. So, and if you bring a notebook, it jumps into like the 30s or something like that. So if you don't, you're totally on. If you read off the screen, you're on your own. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I think it is going to come up on the screen. But this is a, a, a Heroes series. And so when Pastor Mike asked me to speak, I, I said, well, I'd, I'd love to teach on the life of Peter. And so I think most of us, if you've been in church for any amount of time, are familiar with the disciples, uh, namely Peter, uh, James, and John were sort of the three primary disciples. And, and I love the life of Peter because I think there's a lesson in it for all of us um, about what God sees when we fail. How does Jesus treat us in our failure, in our low moments, in our times when we haven't gotten it right or we're falling into our own flesh or our own sin? And the reality is all of us deal with that on some level. Um, 
I think sometimes we, we can come into church and we can kind of try to hide our weaknesses. And, and, I'm, and I'm not saying it's, it's you know, we, we want to put everything out there for everyone to see. But the reality is sometimes we, we kind of put on that facade of, oh, no, everything's good and we're all fine. And, and for the most part, that's not how we relate to Jesus. We are going to have times where we miss it. We are going to have times where we fail and when we sin and when we feel like we've really let God down. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about that. So if you're new to Radiant, we're going to talk about failure. And so welcome. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the failure room. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Luke chapter 5, we're going to read about Peter's um, first meeting with Jesus and, and our first meeting with Peter. So it says this in, in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's or Peter's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish to the point where their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that had been taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything, and they followed him. So this is our first initial meeting with Peter, also named Simon. And he's a fisherman. He's a lifelong fisherman. His parents, dad, were probably fishermen. This is all that he knows. And so in this moment by the lake of Gennesaret, he has been fishing all night and caught nothing. So he's probably frustrated. This isn't like recreational fishing. This is like life livelihood. And so he's caught nothing. They're cleaning their nets. They're packing it up for the day. And Jesus is teaching, and, and there's crowds that are pressing in on him. So he asked Peter, hey, can I borrow your boat? Can you launch out a little bit? And we'll use the water kind of as natural amplification, and I'm going to teach the crowds. And so Jesus does that. And he's teaching the crowds. And at the end of it, he says to Simon Peter, now I want you to launch out. I want you to put your boat back out into the deep. And I want you to let down your nets for a catch. And again, in the natural, this would have been a crazy request. And Peter would have been like, no, why would I do that? We already went fishing. We fish at night. That's when we fish. We already went. We didn't catch anything. We're washing the nets. That's a big deal. It takes time. And so Peter honestly could have got offended. Could have been like, look, dude, Jesus, is that your name? You're a carpenter, right? So maybe don't tell me how to fish. I won't tell you how to build a dresser, you know, like. But he didn't do that. So I, I think there was something that Jesus said from the boat that sort of lit up Peter's spirit to where he was like, there's something about this man. There's something about what he's saying. And so he makes this statement, master, we toiled all night and we caught nothing. But nevertheless, at your word, we'll let down our nets. And there's a whole other message there about how obedience opens the doors for the miraculous in our lives. But he lets down the net, and they catch so many fish that the nets are breaking. So many fish that he has to call his partners over. And the boats are literally sinking with this miraculous catch. And Peter's response is not like, dude, high five, man. We're fishing buddies. It says that he falls down. And he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful Man, there was something that he recognized, like this isn't just a normal person, this is God. And every time in scripture, 
that you see somebody encountering the glory and power of God. You see it in Isaiah chapter 6. You see it in, in the book of Revelation. When John sees the, the living God, they fall down. They're, they're, they're literally awestruck by the glory and power of God, and Peter is no different. He just says, get away from me. There's the, you're, you're a God, and I'm a sinful man. I'm a, I'm a fisherman. I've not lived a good life. Like, you don't want to be anywhere near me. And Jesus' response to him is, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be a fisher of men. I'm calling you to something higher. I'm calling you to something greater with your life. And so G, the Bible says that Peter leaves everything. And he follows Jesus. He leaves his business. He leaves his boat. He leaves his fishing expeditions. And he says, I'm going to follow Jesus. And for three and a half years, he's discipled firsthand by Jesus about the kingdom of God, about the things that are to come. He's literally learning at the feet of Jesus. And we know, if, if you're familiar with the New Testament, that Peter was kind of a brash, loud, you know, open mouth, insert foot kind of a guy. He, he was uh, sort of a ready aim fire or ready, fire, aim, that's what I meant, kind of a guy. Like, if, if you read about him, he was quick to be confrontational, quick to do, and it, and it worked for him many times. I mean, when you read the Bible, you see he was the only one who walked on water. You remember that? When Jesus had come, Peter got out of the boat, and no one else did, so there was faith in him. He was brought up on the mountain with only two others, James and John of Transfiguration, where Jesus revealed his glory to them. And so Peter witnessed that, and maybe the crowning, Achievement spiritually for Peter was in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus is asking his disciples, he says to them, who do men, who do people say that I am? And the disciples say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some are saying you're just a prophet. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, without hesitation, he jumps in. He says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon. Bar Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who's in heaven. And your name's going to be Peter, which means rock. And on this revelation, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the disciples were competitive, so I guarantee you in that moment, Peter was like, yes! Uh, uh. He's pointing at the other guys. I told you I was the best, right? Nailed it! And he's pretty happy about it, but Peter also had some low moments. Not but one chapter after this, Jesus starts talking about, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to have to be crucified. And what does Peter say? No, 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 no. That's never going to happen to you, Jesus. That is not the plan. That is not how this is going to go. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. How many know when you're being discipled by Jesus and he calls you Satan, that's not a good sign? Then in the garden, remember when Jesus was arrested, and he's ready to go willingly. What does Peter do? Pulls out his sword, hacks off one of the guard's ears, and Jesus has to pick it up, put it back on, say, Peter, put your sword away. If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. But probably the most defining moment in Peter's life, and people who don't even know the Bible remember this, is that he was the one who denied Jesus three times. And so prior to that, again, Jesus was saying, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to betray me with a kiss. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to go to the cross. And Peter steps up and he says, look, Jesus, I can't speak for the rest of these jabronis. These other guys, they're not like me. They're weak-willed and weak-minded. But for me, I am in this till the very end. The bitter end, I'll do whatever it takes. And Jesus looks at him and says, I'm telling you the truth. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, whatever. I'm, I'm in. 
So he makes that statement, and then Jesus is arrested. We know the story. Judas betrays him with a kiss. And the Bible says that he's taken away, and the disciples follow from a distance. And I want you to picture, like, this is utter chaos. It's dark. Tons of Roman soldiers have just arrested Jesus. He just said, someone's going to betray me that was close to me. So they're all trying to, like, figure out what's happening, and they're following from a distance. And the Bible says that Peter is warming his hands kind of by this charcoal fire. And he looks and he can see Jesus and someone comes up to him and says, aren't, aren't you with Jesus? Aren't you one of them? And no, no, I, that's not me. I don't know him. Someone else comes up and says, well, you have a Galilean accent. Certainly you, you were with, and no, no, that's not me. I don't know who that is. And then a girl comes up to him, the Bible says, and says, I saw you with, and, he, and Peter begins to call down curses and begins to say, I don't even know who he is. Instantly, the rooster crows. And Luke 22 tells us that in that moment, Peter actually looks across the courtyard and he locks eyes with Jesus as the rooster's crowing. And he remembers what Jesus said. He remembers what he said he would do, how he was going to stay faithful, how he was going to be strong. And the Bible says that he ran and he wept bitterly. Peter had to deal, had to come to grips with the failure and with the let down that he's feeling that he had not just for his friend, not just for his teacher, but literally for the son of God. He said he was going to do one thing. He promised he was going to be this way. And when the moment of truth came, he was weak and he was incapable of fulfilling his promise to the Lord. And now Peter's at the crosshair moment of what's going to happen to me. How do I recover from this. How do I, I mean, that's not who I am. That's not who, what I believe. Like, you know, I walked with him. He was my friend. He discipled me. How could I have possibly turned my back on him? And I'm sure all of these thoughts are just flooding him, guilt and shame and condemnation. And he makes a decision like, I'm going to go back to fishing. Like I've ruined it. I've blown it. There's no way that the Lord can use me now. And I feel like many times in our Christian lives, we make mistakes we have issues. We have things that haven't gone our way, decisions we shouldn't have made that we make. And the enemy comes in and he swoops in with guilt and shame and condemnation. And if you were really a Christian and if you really love God and if you were really following him, you wouldn't struggle with that. And you're the only one who has that problem. And he comes in and he tries to reinforce this idea that we've blown our opportunity to be followers of Jesus. And that's what he's doing to Peter in this moment. And that's what he does to every one of us. And I think that's important to remember even about a hero series. Sometimes we can look at the lives of Abraham and Moses and David and, you know, Elijah and in the New Testament, Paul, and, and we can almost kind of deify them as like, they never had issues and they've done these amazing exploits for God. But every single one of the people that God uses has issues. Raise your hand in here if you've ever had an issue. Raise your other hand if you've ever let God down. Look at you, you're Pentecostal now. You didn't even know it, so just kidding. We all raised our hands in church. It's every one of us, every one of us, every person God ever used has issues. Every single one. Abraham had an issue. He didn't believe God, and what did he do? He birthed an Ishmael. What else did he do? He went to the king of, of the Ammonite king, and, and he was afraid that they were going to kill him for his wife, so he said, tell him you're my sister. How I many you know that did not go over well at dinner, Right? Moses killed an Egyptian in, in a moment of anger. David had an affair with Bathsheba, 
killed her husband Uriah to try to cover it up. And God said, he's literally a man after my own heart. Saul, Paul was formerly Saul who persecuted Christians. So listen to me. God is not looking for perfect people. He's looking for obedient people, humble people, people who are willing to trust him even in their dark moments, even in their moments of trials and temptations. That's what God is looking for. And the beauty, listen, the beauty of the kingdom of God is you don't have to be perfect to be great in the kingdom. That should be good news. You don't have to be perfect to be great in the kingdom of God. And God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those that he calls. And there is a massive difference. And the enemy wants nothing more. He knows he's not going to get most of us to deny Jesus if we're Christians. He's not going to get us to like revoke our faith completely, but he is going to try really hard to minimize our impact and to have us think that I can't possibly be used by God. Maybe I'm a Christian. I'm probably going to go to heaven. Like I put my butt, but I can't share my faith. I can't witness. I can't be a light to others. I have my own problems and my own issues, and I don't know enough, and I don't have Bible knowledge and all of these things the enemy just tries to reinforce so that you go through your life living at a level below what God really has for you, below what God has called you to do. And he does that in the lives of too many believers who are fighting for their identity out of a place of performance instead of a place of position. And there's a massive difference. And so I want to talk about what does that look like? What does that mean? And how did Jesus treat Peter in his moment of failure? It reminds me of the greatest Disney movie ever created, which is The Lion King. If you don't agree with that, leave immediately. No, I'm just kidding. You can have your wrong opinion. It's fine. But it's not the remix. I'm talking about the old one. I'm going to share this. Listen, and, and I watched it for this message. So the gospel is shared in The Lion King. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. But what did Simba or Mufasa tell Simba, his son? He said, don't go to that area, right? I don't want you to go to the gorge, to that valley, whatever it is. That's not part of our kingdom. So what does he do? He goes to it because he's struggling with his identity. He's like, I don't have a real roar. And he can't roar, and he's upset about it. So he goes there anyway, right? And then what does Scar do, the, the bad lion? He gets the hyenas to scare the wildebeest, and all of a sudden, you know, Simba's hearing, so there's a stampede coming. And then he's running for his life, and so Scar goes and tells Mufasa, you know, Simba's in the valley. You got, what, Simba? Do I sound like James Earl Jones right now? Okay, anyway. So he jumps after him, right? And he's chasing after him. And he's trying to save his life. And there's all of this, like, you know, chaos. And the music is like, ah, you know, crazy energy. And he grabs Mufasa, or he, Mufasa grabs Simba, and he puts him up on a rock for safety, right? And then he falls back down. And Simba's like, no, no. And then he jumps up at the last minute. And he puts his claws into the mountain. You guys are riveted right now, I can tell, right? by my storytelling ability. Anyway, he puts his claws in there, right? And Scar's right there. And, and Mufasa's like, my brother. And what does he do? <laughs> puts his claws. This is like my son's favorite part. I pray for him. He needs Jesus. <laughs> Grabs him and goes, long live the king. And he fall. And what happens? He falls, gets trampled, and Mufasa dies, right? But that's not even the worst part. The worst part is Simba now comes down from the mountain, from the safety that his dad has provided. And he sees him lying there. Literally, I'm, I cry when I see this. It's so wrong. But he, he taps, and he goes, Dad, wake up. Come on, Dad. 
We got to go home now. I'm going to cry right now, literally. I'm like, Disney, why are you doing this? We got to go home. And he doesn't respond, right? And so he starts crying, and he's like, help, anyone help? And Scar, the enemy, comes in, right? And he says, what happened? It was an accident. I didn't mean it. And what does Scar say? Of course she didn't mean it. Nobody means it. But the king is dead, and if it wasn't for you, he'd be alive. And Simba's trying to process, well, what do I do? And what does Scar say? Run, run, and never come back. And Simba runs. And he doesn't become Scar Jr. He doesn't become the worst lion that ever lived. He has a couple Hakuna Matata moments in his life where things are going okay. But how many of you know he's living far below the plan and the destiny that the king had for his life because of a decision that he made? And instead of running to God, instead of running to the presence, he runs away. And he says, no, i got to put that behind me. I've disqualified. I'm just going to live this normal life. Now, and anything that God, anything the king wanted to do, I've ruined. And that's exactly what the enemy speaks to us. Just run. Get away. God doesn't want to be near you. God doesn't want to be with you. And so when we look at Jesus' response to Peter, it's so important that we recognize that's not how God sees us. It's not how God restores us. So look at John chapter 21. We'll end with just a couple things from this. This is the encounter Peter has with Jesus after the death and burial and resurrection. So the last thing Peter remembers is locking eyes with Jesus in that courtyard, betraying him, knowing that Jesus was crucified. And now it says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, And two other of his disciples were together. So you read in Mark chapter 16, Mary goes to the tomb. She sees that the tomb's empty. Jesus isn't there. An angel literally appears and says, go tell the disciples. Why are you here? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? She says, I'm looking for Jesus of Nazareth. No, he's not here. He's risen. Now you go tell the disciples and Peter to meet him by the Sea of Tiberias. And I think it's so crucial that we read and Peter because if the angel hadn't said and Peter and just said tell the disciples, Peter might not have shown up. Peter might have stayed behind and said, well, he doesn't mean me. He means these other guys who didn't do what I did, who didn't fail like I did. But instead, she says, the angel says, include Peter. So they go there, and verse 3 says, and Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And so again, when we read this, I'm going fishing, this isn't, hey, I'm going to kill some time and, and, you know, see if I can't catch a couple smallmouth bass. That might be fun. No, he's saying, I'm going back to who I was before Jesus called me. I'm going back to what's comfortable. I'm going to bury myself in my work. I'm going to bury myself in, 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 in staying busy with, not again, not things that are sinful, not things that are bad, but things that are below what Jesus called me to do because I'm not qualified anymore. I'm, I'm just going to go back to being a fisherman. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Sometimes, again, in our attempts to run away from the call of God or the voice of God, it becomes difficult in our lives. Sometimes that God doesn't let us off that easily. And that's what happened. Like, you're, oh, you're going to go back to fishing? Well, just see how that turns out for you. So he catches nothing. Again, so just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. 
Jesus said to them, brothers, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. So Jesus is on the shore. They're coming in from a night of catching no fish, and they can't recognize that it's Jesus. And I don't know why they can't. Maybe they're too far away. The Bible says they're only 100 yards. Maybe it's because Jesus, after he got resurrected, just messed with people like that. That's what I think sometimes. Like even when Mary came and found him at the tomb, she doesn't know it's him. She thinks he's the gardener. So she says to him, have you seen Jesus of Nazareth? I don't know why she thought he was the gardener. Maybe he's just messing with bushes, and he's like, I'll just play this out. I'll let her think I'm the gardener. So have you seen, do you know what they did with him? Who? Jesus. He goes, who are you looking for? He knows who she's looking for. And then she's like, Jesus of Nazareth, do you know where they put him? And he's like, oh, it's me. And she's like, ah, why'd you do that? You know, I don't know why he did that. But, and then in Luke 24, it happens again. Two disciples are walking the road to Emmaus. They're confused. They're heartbroken. They don't understand that Jesus was crucified. And then he shows up to them on the path, and they don't know it's him. And he goes, hey, what are you guys talking about? Are you the only one in Israel who doesn't know what happened to Jesus of Nazareth? He's like, no. Tell me more about my own death, burial, and resurrection. Super interested. <laughs> so they start telling him they don't recognize him. And then he's like, okay, I got to go. And they're like, no, please stay for dinner. Okay, fine, I'll stay for dinner. And then as they're breaking bread, he's like, it's me. And they're like, ah! They run seven miles back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples. They just leave Jesus there. And they're like, guys, guys, we saw Jesus. And he was walking with us. And then we had dinner. And he didn't tell us it was him, which was weird. But it was him. And, and then it says that Jesus just walked through the walls. And it was like, peace, be still. And they're all like, ah! So I don't know. Maybe this was one of those situations. Maybe I had too many Red Bulls. I don't even know. But either way, they don't recognize it's him. And he says, do you have fish? And they say, no, we haven't catch, caught anything. Listen to Jesus' response in verse 6. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Hopefully this rings a bell. This is exactly what happened in Luke chapter 5. This was the miracle that Jesus used in Luke 5 to call Peter to be his disciple. And now three and a half years later, when Peter feels like I failed, Peter feels like I've missed it, Jesus recreates the miracle and says, I've still called you. I'm still with you. I'm still going to see the miraculous come to pass in your life, and you haven't disqualified yourself. That's how Jesus responds in our failure, not with condemnation, not with shame, not with guilt, not with how could you, where were you? He responds with come and, and I'll show you that you still have a call on your life. I'll reinforce the same call that I used to, in Luke 5 to bring you into my ministry is the same thing I'm going to do now at the low point of your life. And so they have all these fish and it says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, the author, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, threw himself into the sea. Peter remembered. This is exactly what happened when Jesus called me. And so he jumps into the water. For whatever reason, he puts garments on before he jumps in to the water, but maybe Peter was weird. And he jumps in, and he starts swimming towards the Lord. He's like, I'm not going to stay away. I'm not going to be, be separated. I'm going to swim towards the presence of God. And he does. And it says that they meet him there. And when they got on land, they saw there was a fire and fish laid out in bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. But none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you for? They knew it was the Lord. And so here's this moment. Peter comes up on shore. Jesus already has fish ready. 
Jesus doesn't need anything from us. He didn't need Peter's fish. He just wanted to show him another miracle to solidify who he was. And so they have breakfast. Do you want to know how Jesus sees you in your failure? He wants to have breakfast. He wants to have relationship with you. He's not yelling at Peter. He's not screaming, get over here. You better dive in that water and get here right now. No, as he comes up on land, he says, let's eat. Let's break bread. But it's awkward. It says none of the disciples dared even ask him, like, what are you doing? Who, why, why is this high? Are we cool? Sorry I left you that night. My bad. We were a little worried about ourselves, but we're good. Now. Like, they don't know what to say. They're not sure. And there's a, maybe an awkwardness between Peter and between Jesus. And so in verse 15, Jesus breaks the ice. He says, when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Commentators have some split opinions on who the these are. Some say it's the other disciples, but most say he's talking about the fish. He's pointing to the fish. Do you love me more than these? All these fish you caught? Do you remember three and a half years ago, I called you from being a fisherman to being a fisher of men. And I need you. And I've called you. And your failures and your insecurities and the mistakes you've made aren't disqualifying you from that call. So do you love me? And listen to Peter's response. He said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said, tend my sheep. And he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? So he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So is Jesus just being mean here? Is he just, you know, trying to, to dig it in on Peter a little? Like, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Well, I couldn't tell the other night, so let me ask you again. Do you love, that's not what he's doing. Each time, he's asking him one time for every time that he denied him in that courtyard. When people were coming and he responded in fear, you were with you, no, I don't know him. You were with you, no, I don't know. Now Jesus is saying, do you love me? Yes, I know you do. Feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes. I know, tend my sheep. If Jesus wanted to shame Peter, what would he have done? He would have pointed to the past. Oh, really, you love me? Well, what about the other night? What about when I warned you and you still did it? What about when you were so arrogant and you fell on your face? He doesn't say any of that. What does he say? He points to the future. You love me, then I need you to tend my sheep. I need you to feed my lambs. Peter, look at me. The call of God on your life isn't just for you, it's for the people. They're going to know Jesus because of your obedience and because of your boldness in the faith. And if you sit here wandering in the past and, 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 and wallowing in your mistakes, you're not going to be equipped for what I have for you to do. And we have the luxury of reading one chapter ahead in the book of Acts where Peter preaches boldly and thousands come to know Jesus and the Holy Spirit fills him and his shadow is healing people and Peter is used miraculously by God. But it's only because in that moment Jesus reaffirmed who he was, even in his weakness, even in his shame. And he spoke to his future, not to his past. And that's exactly how God speaks to us. And too many Christians go through life thinking, okay, I'm a Christian and I'm going to go to heaven and I'm saved, but God can't use me. I have issues. I have my own problems. I don't even know the Bible very good. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a, and we just kind of have this shallow, low-level relationship with Jesus. And he's saying, do you love me? Yeah. Okay, then you have a, a call. It said, 
feed my sheep. It's a call to tend my lambs. It's a call to say, I'm not satisfied that anyone that I go to work with, that I go to school with, that's in my neighborhood, in my family, is separated from Jesus. That's what he was saying to Peter. People are going to need you. They're sheep. Our culture needs us. Our culture needs Christians who love like Jesus loved. Our culture needs Christians who are bold in their faith. And too often, it's just easier. It's more comfortable. I want to go back to fishing. I want to go, this is my real job, and I'm a Christian on Sundays. And no, Jesus says, will you surrender everything to me? Can you be a Christian on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? And can you be bold in your faith? And yet, I'm not up here saying it doesn't matter what you do. Oh, it doesn't matter what we do or, or if we make mistakes. Of course it matters. Everything we do matters. But if we go through our lives thinking our mistakes define us, our past defines us, we'll never live out the future that Jesus has for us as followers. And he's saying, just like he said to Peter, feed my sheep, tend the lambs. It's a divine invitation from Jesus to be a part of what he's doing on the earth. And too often as Christians, we think if God's gonna do it, he'll just do it. If God's gonna save them, he'll just, or he'll, he'll find someone else. And what I want you to hear more than anything is his call is for you. You have spheres of influence. You have places you go, people you know that no one else does. And God's saying, are you willing to walk in the call that I have for you? Are you willing to put yourself out there? Are you willing to be bold? And that's not always easy to do. Let me just close with, with this story. I'll just kind of tell on myself here. I was in Meyer one time and I was checking out and I went in the self-checkout lane, even though there was roughly 700 people in line because I still feel like that's faster. I just want to do it myself, right? So I, I said something to the lady in front of me. I said, is there like a Cedar Point ride up there that I'm unaware of? As a joke, and just like you guys, no one laughed and neither did she. But that never stops me, you know? I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I'll talk to anybody. So I was like, I was like are we waiting for like a Cedar Point ride? And, and she didn't laugh. And I was like, oh, whatever, you know, we can still be friends. And then I said, yeah, we've been... I said, I guess we're going to be waiting a while. And she said, yeah, it's really rough, too, because I have this bad hip. And so she's telling me that it hurts to stand in line because of her hip. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to pray for her hip. And I was like, well, that can't be the Lord. Because that could be embarrassing. And it could be out of my comfort zone. And I don't know. I just, I'm not sure I want to do that. I mean, she already doesn't think I'm funny. She didn't laugh. I mean, Lord, I mean, what am I going to do? Seriously. I'm putting my hand up on her hip. When I pray she dips, we dip. Is that how this works? I mean, I, literally in my head, I'm just thinking this is going to go bad. And maybe that isn't the Lord. And maybe I should just buy the Snickers and leave. And that's what I did. I know. I told you I was going to tell on me. And I'm a pastor. This is probably 10 years ago. And I still think about sometimes, like, what if I... What if I'd not worried about how John's going to look in line at Meyer? What if I had just decided I'm going to pray for you, and if you don't get healed instantly, it's not me, it's the Lord. But I, I, I need to be obedient, and I wasn't. And I got in my car, and I had like a Peter moment, like, God, I'm sorry. I've been asking for you to give me opportunities to pray for people and to have more impact, and then you do, and, and I blew it, and I'm sorry. And, God, I'm asking you to give me another opportunity, maybe not at Meyer. no. <laughs> And, uh, and that's how it is. And, and God, God doesn't shame us. And God doesn't scold us. He invites us back into relationship with him. And he gives us his Holy Spirit. 
to be bold. And I, I believe that there are those in this room that God wants to use to bring light and to bring love and to bring hope to the people around us in a time that is desperately needed. So if you'll just stand on your feet, I want to close in prayer for us and for you. And, and I want two things real quick. Maybe there's someone here who, who need to release something that you've been hanging on to, a decision you made, something that's happened to you. No, it's the divorce. No, it's that abuse. No, it's all these things that are keeping me from really fulfilling the call. It's that addiction I have. It's like, uh, maybe you need to just give that to the Lord. I want to pray for that. And then there's others who the Lord's saying, I just want you to be bold. I want you to be filled with courage. Like it's not your strength, it's mine. You don't have to have all the answers. When you will go into work and say, God, who can I pray for? Who can I, who can I, you know, reach out to? What does that look like? I want to put myself out there. God will give you opportunities. And that's when we say, you know what? Christianity is not boring. Like some people be like, oh, it's, Christianity is boring. It's because you're not doing anything. If, if you're doing what God's asked you to do in the world that we live in, I promise you, you won't be bored. You might not be comfortable. You might not even always be happy, but you won't be bored. And that's what God's asking us to do, a divine invitation. So, Father, I pray for the people in this room, those that are online, that, God, you would give us the ability, the courage, supernaturally, to recognize we're called to be ambassadors. We're called to be soul and light to the world around us. God, we don't want to just go through the motions. We don't want to be defined by what we haven't done or who we're not or compare ourselves to someone else. God, you are sufficient. Your grace is enough. Your strength is perfected in our weakness. So God, we ask you, help us, empower us, God. We, we're not capable, but in you, all things are possible. And so we surrender that. And God, we want to be a part of an end time revival in our nation, in our city. We're in a house of miracles right now, God, and we do not take that lightly. We stand in a place of faith and say, God, we are your willing vessels. Fill us and use us, God. And right now, I pray, let the voice of condemnation, the voice of shame, the lies of the enemy be broken off every Christian in this room and let the voice of the Father, the voice of the Good Shepherd say, you are mine. You're my son. You're my daughter. I redeemed you. I paid for your price, the price for your sin, and you have right standing with God. Let that be the voice that we hear today, Father. We love you and we honor you in Jesus' name.